But for the Christian, so much of the time, Christ's likeness is just one thing in a many of things that revolve around something else. And they wonder why they never obtain Christ's likeness. And they wonder why they get frustrated. Wonder why they always give in to the deeds of the flesh. Because Christ's likeness is not at the center of their life. But everything else is. You must, church, listen. You must have God here. And everything else revolves around God. Everything in your life must take a back seat to God and what you know God expects you to do. Everything. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Philippians chapter 3. What are your goals in life? Many Christians uh, that are both young and old could probably give a list of the goals that they have in their life. I want to marry a great person, have children, obtain a great job, and on and on the list goes. Yet Paul tells us in this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, That for the Christian, you should have only one goal, one prize, and one pursuit. And that's Christ-likeness. And as we have, have, as we have Christ formed in us, everything else kind of falls in place. Philippians chapter 3, and out of honor for God's word, if you would please stand as we read our text. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. This is the word of God. Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may be apprehended for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, Whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning that you would teach us your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. In 1984, in Los Angeles, California... You had the Summer World Games. And on the last Friday of the games, the last event at sunset 
was the women's 3,000 meter final. The American runner by the name of Mary Decker was, was poised to win the goal. She had been denied that medal four years earlier, but she was back trying to get the gold medal this time. Another favorite in the race was an 18-year-old young lady by the name of Zola Budd of South Africa. And she had an interesting running style. If you were, if you were alive back in those days and watched the summer games, her interesting running style was that she ran barefoot. Now, because of politics, the South Africans at the time were not allowed to participate in the, in the Olympic Games, but her father was, great, grandfather rather, was, was, of, was from Great Britain, and therefore she had a dual citizenship, so she was allowed to run under the flag of the United Kingdom. The entire eyes of the entire world were on Decker and Bud as they began, as they did this matchup. It was so large, in fact, folks, and the hype was so great between these two women that the other women that were involved in the race were scarcely even talked about. A man by the name of David Burnett was a photographer that was working the Olympics that day, and he was hoping to catch some breathtaking photos that he could sell to Time magazine. Now, David placed himself in an unusual place for a photographer to take pictures. Most photographers would replace, would place themselves right at the finish line, right at the goal, so that they would be able to capture on film the photo finish. But David placed himself 60 yards up from the goal line. The ladies got in their starting blocks. The gun went off and the racers took off. And the whole world watched in anticipation to see which one of these great athletes would emerge victorious. Decker, the American, led most of the race. But midway through the race, Great Britain's Zola Bud made her move to try to take the lead coming out of, ver coming out of turn four as they head down the straight stretch. And as the turn, as the runners came out of turn four and they began to head down the straight stretch, Bud began to get momentum and inch closer and closer and closer and closer to the American Mary Decker. And it was at that moment that the closer that Bud got to her, it was at that moment that Decker began to make her fatal flaw that every runner, amateur or professional, every runner out there knows what to do. You don't do this irregardless, and that is this. As Bud began to get closer and closer, Decker, who was still in the lead, began to pay more attention to her opponent than she did the goal. She took her eyes off of the goal and began to focus on everything else. And the closer and the closer, the and inch by inch they got to the finish line, Decker having almost lost complete attention and complete sight of the goal line, began to inch closer and closer and closer into Bud's lane. And you can only imagine that a running at those speeds that those athletes run, how fast the feet were moving. And when they were only 60 yards from the finish line, 180 feet from the finish line, 
as Burnett was flashing his pictures. At one rotation of the shutter, Decker was there, giving it everything she had. But at the next rotation, Decker was gone. Decker wiped out 180 feet from the goal and face planted in midfield. She had taken her eyes off the goal and her legs got tangled up in Bud's legs and they both went down. In a matter of seconds, Decker's, Decker's dream of being an Olympic gold medalist was over. As she sat up in tears, you can go online and see the picture. As she sat up in tears and watched in horror as the others, as the other racers headed on towards the finish line and the race was finally won by a Romanian runner. 75,000 people sat in that stadium in Los Angeles, California and millions across the world watched as Decker lived out what she later called, quote, the worst day of my life. And as I thought about this passage, I thought about that story. The Apostle Paul was a lover of athletics. And we know that because many times in Paul's writings, he uses illustrations from both the Greek and the Roman games in his letter to illustrate biblical truth. He talks about the fact in Corinthians, for example, as Christians just not beating in the air. And he borrowed that analogy from boxing that took place in the Greek games. And one of the most important great truths for us to consider, uh, that Paul considered for these athletes is was Paul, these guys in these Greek and Roman games were not competing for a crown, but they were competing many times for their very life. The two boxers, for example, in the Greek games would get into a boxing ring and they would not put on padded gloves and began to go at each other. What they would do is they would get in the boxing ring and they would wrap their hands with tape and then they would put some type of adhesive on that tape around their hands and then they would dip their hands in tar and then they dip their hands in metal and then they dip their hands in glass and then they would both get into the ring and they would literally punch each other in the face and the body with those pieces of glass and metal. And the winner got the reward, but the loser, well, the loser got his eyes gouged out. And so when Paul wrote to Timothy, for example, and said that he needed, to be, he needed to be ready to fight, he had this in mind. Paul here is speaking in this text, folks, about a prize. He is speaking about a goal. He is not speaking about an earthly prize, but he is speaking about something far better. He is speaking about something far better than Mary Decker of the United States lost that day. And in this text, Paul goes into some detail about the prize and how we are to obtain it. And these are simple yet profound ways to reach that truth. And listen, church, our lives need to be characterized as reaching that goal. And Paul gives us in this text three necessities for pursuing the prize. I want you to notice with me these this morning. Number one, Paul's admission. Paul's admission. Paul understood that in order to properly pursue the prize in Christ, 
that it required proper awareness. And folks, listen, one of the things, if not the thing, on the top of the list of what you and I need to be aware of this morning is an awareness of ourself. Paul explains in this, these verses that he was aware of his own self. Look at verse 12, where Paul says this, Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect. Stop right there. All that believers now have in Christ and will enjoy in eternity is fixed by God's gracious purpose, isn't it? Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, to an inheritance, what? Incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And listen, folks, what we have reserved for us in heaven cannot be improved upon. And the believer's vert, but the believer's virtue in this present life must be improved upon. For the believer to grow in virtue and for the believer to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, there must be the understanding that while one day we will be glorified, we must understand this, folks, that we right now at this very moment, we echo the words of the Apostle Paul, and that is that I am not what I should be. I am not what I should be. But we need to be careful that while that attitude may produce humility, we need to be careful that it does not also produce apathy. I'm not what I should be. I'll never be what, I'm, what I need to be. So I'm just going to stop trying. That's not the point. We need to be aware, church, that we haven't arrived. Before we can ever truly pursue the, the prize in Christ, we need to understand where we are in Christ. We need to be moving, church, in the right direction. And this is the work of the Spirit and the longing of a regenerate heart. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And the awareness, church, that we need to have, that we need to improve our spiritual condition, that is the necessary requirement, folks, for us to be able to pursue the prize. And Paul expressed that. Look what he says again in verse 12. He says, not as though I had already attained. The word attained there is lombano. It means to receive or to make one's own. Listen, church, Paul's admission, Paul's confession, was his, is that his relationship to Christ is not what it should be. And that's the apostle Paul. My relationship with Christ is not what it ought to be. That's my admission. That's my confession. You know, Paul never claimed to have some type of super spiritual superiority or perfection above everybody else. He understood the fact that, that, that all is not as it needs to be. And he doesn't ever want to give the impression that he has reached some type of level of spiritual superiority. Listen, the prize that Paul is pursuing, church, is not heaven. But the prize that Paul is pursuing, if you can believe this or not, is something much greater than heaven. But he says, I have not acquired it. He says, I don't claim to have some type of unique relationship to Christ that's unavailable to everybody else. He says, nor am I in a state of perfection. He says, neither were already, verse 12, neither were already 
perfect. The word perfect is teleo, and it literally means to be in a, a state of consummation, a, cons, a perfection, to be in heavenly perfection. All the victories that Paul had in his life, every spiritual victory that Paul had won, every spiritual victory that Paul had won over sin, Paul still has this admission, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have not received a special level of superiority. You know, Paul knew that his knowledge of Christ was incomplete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, for we now, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I now know in part, but then I'll know fully. But what does Paul say? He says, right now, I'm seeing through a dark glass. My knowledge of Christ is incomplete. And although Paul knew that he had imputed righteousness because of Christ, and although he also needed to be cleansed from the defilement of the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, Paul talks about the fact that he was to, that we need to cleanse ourselves from the defilement of the flesh. And although church, listen, although Paul had Christ's power at work in him, And this is a point that so much of the time you and I as God's people miss. Although Paul had God's power, Christ's power at work in him, he understood that in the flesh he was still weak. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, y'all know that story well. God's Paul says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn was. It could have been a physical ailment. It could have been a person. We don't know. But Paul says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And what did Paul do? Paul did what every one of us would do, didn't he? He asked God to take it away. In fact, he asked God three times to take it away. And what was God's answer all three times? The answer is no. I'm not going to take it away from you, Paul. I'm just going to give you the grace to deal with it. Church, listen, the happiness boys want you to believe that any ailment you have, it's God's will that he take it away from you. But Paul contradicts that because God said, Paul, I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm just going to give you the grace to deal with it. You may be sick this morning. God may heal you. God may not. But God will give you the grace to deal with whatever he does. And we don't need to be looking, church, for answers necessarily. We don't need to be looking for healing. We need to be looking for grace. And so what was Paul's answer? In himself to God's answer. Verse 9. He, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? Somebody looked at me the other day and says, Pastor, I'm so weak. I'm so weak. I I don't know what to do. I'm so weak. And my response, that's when you're at your strongest. Because church, listen, when we are weak, we realize we can't do it. We realize with the Apostle Paul, as he said at the end of verse 9, that I would would rather glory in my infirmity. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now listen, church, that's a man with some growth. That's a man with some spiritual character who said, I would rather be sick for the glory of God than be well and bring less glory to God. Even his fellowship with God was not perfect. In fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, that he didn't even know, there were times where he didn't even know how to pray. 
And Paul longed for the day when his body would be transformed. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. And so Paul's admission, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. In fact, in Paul's perfection or imperfection, if you look in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse around verse 14, Paul in his imperfection state says that even though God has given me many victories, I still have a constant battle with the flesh. I still have a constant battle with the old man. He says, even though God has given me many victories, even though I have all things that pertain to Ephesians 1, right? I have all things that pertain to life and godliness, but I am still in a state in my life where every time I turn around, Paul says, I'm not doing the things that I want to do, and I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Anybody else feel that way sometimes? We're pretty good company, aren't we? Here's the man. Wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Says, I'm not perfect. Received direct revelation from God. I'm not perfect. My relationship with Christ is not what it ought to be. I haven't attained. I haven't attained. Listen, church. You and I need to get to the point if we're going to pursue the prize. You and I, we're going to reach the goal you and, I need to, you and I need to be in our lives where we see ourselves. Listen, God has done a lot for me. I have so much to be thankful for in Jesus Christ, but I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. They listen, church, there's not a day, there's not a week that goes by where I do not say to myself, except it be for the grace of God, so be I. In fact, just this past week, uh, I, had, I was in a conversation with somebody about a certain situation that was going on, and this other person I was, I was speaking with said this, that there, well, that's like, it's like I always heard, there's only one word that separates you from the worst of sinner, and that's the word what, church? Grace. Grace. We haven't arrived. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. And listen, church, it is the dissatisfaction with our present spiritual condition that helps us reach the prize. Those people that think they have reached some sort of spiritual perfection, who don't see the need for improvement, I mean, why should they try to attain something that they already have? And the fact is that people that are in such complacent, contented places are in real, real danger of being insensitive to the own sin that's in their life. Because listen, church, those people that are unaware of their desperate spiritual condition, that is a requirement for coming to Christ, isn't it? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In verse 3, he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that mourn over their desperate spiritual bankruptcy. Folks, we haven't attained We haven't arrived. And it is only those that continue to eliminate sin and cultivate holiness who will make progress toward the goal. But listen, we also need to understand this, and Paul talks about this later, that that the desperation of our spiritual condition is also not a call for despair. It's also not a call for despair. It's a call for pursuit. 
It's a call for pursuit. Imagine the ancient Greek stadium. Imagine the courses for foot races and the, and the tiers of seats where thousands of people would come and watch. The length of the track, for example, in the old Athens stadium in our measurement was about 607 feet. And the purpose of the goal was, to, the purpose of the race was to reach the goal on the opposite side of the entrance. The cord fell, the runners take off, and this was a question that was always asked among the spectators. Will the contestant succeed? And the answer is this. Whether or not the contestant will succeed depends upon the frame of mind. And the same is true of our spiritual life, church. It depends much on your frame of mind. Paul was absolutely convinced of his standing before God, before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him. When, church? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. Even though he had sacrificed everything in his service to the Lord, yet he was convinced that he was not perfect. I'm not perfect. You know, Paul had just come off a great treatise on talk about all the things that he could glory in in the flesh. But in comparison to those things, in comparison to knowing Christ, what did he call them? He said they're just rubbish. He said they're dung. But even though he's got all of these fleshly accolades, what does he say? He said, I've not arrived. I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. I still have many, many faults. I've not reached the goal. And church, you and I haven't reached the goal either. We have not attained the goal. We have not been made perfect. We are still pursuing. A.W., I'm sorry, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, I would highly recommend that book to you to read, The Pursuit of God. It's cheap, and I would highly recommend that you read it. Chapter 8, Tozer makes a grand statement in that chapter that God is not looking for perfection, but God is looking for holy intentions. Not perfection but holy intentions makes the difference. In our admission that we are not perfect, in our admission that we have not attained, we're in pretty good company. Paul's admission was, I've not attained, I'm not perfect. But not only do I want you to see Paul's admission, but number two, I want you to see Paul's ambition. Paul's ambition. Church, listen to me. Imperfection is not the end. Imperfection is not the end. But quitting is never the answer. Giving up is never the answer. There's only one thing to do when you fail. Verse 12. What does Paul say? But I follow after. But I follow after. What's the, only, what's the thing you do, church, when you fail? You get up and keep going. You get up and you keep going. The word follow there is a Greek word, dioko, and it means to pursue. It means to carry out an activity. And as Paul was pressing toward that goal, even though he knew he wasn't perfect, even though he knew he had flaws, he had many fatal, he had many horrendous flaws. Paul says, I'm not going to give up. He says, life looks bad, but I'm not going to give up. Everything is against me, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. What does he say I'm going to do? I'm going to pursue. Folks, it doesn't matter how many times you failed. You get up and keep going, right? 
You keep following. You keep pursuing. Paul pursued four things. Number one, I want you to notice, he pursued for this purpose, to fasten the promise. To fasten the promise. Look at the verse 12 again. Paul says, If that I may apprehend, for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, the twin verbs apprehend are from the same Greek form, katalambano, which means to win. And the preposition kata enhances the, the phrase, enhances the verb. And Paul says, even though I have attained, even though I'm not already perfect, he says, I'm still pursuing, I'm still pressing on because I want to catch it. I want to win. I want to win the prize. Paul says, I am running so that I may win the very thing. Get this, church. He says, I'm running that I may win the very thing for which Christ is pursuing me. And what is Christ pursuing us that we should press on in order to win? Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul tells us the answer. For whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. And the point is, is that God chose us. God elected us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world to make us like Christ. And the purpose for which God saved us is, should be the purpose for which we live. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, church, Christ's likeness should be the lifelong pursuit of every Christian. Christ's likeness. That was the Lord's goal in saving Paul. That is Paul's goal in keeping on running. That is God's goal in saving you. And that is your goal in keeping on pursuing. The purpose, church, of pressing on. The purpose of pursuing even though I fail, even though I'm not perfect, is because Christ's goal in saving me is to make him, is to make me like him. I love what Paul says there. Look at verse 12 again. But I follow, I pursue this, that if that I may apprehend or I may win for that which I am apprehended of Christ. You know, not only should we pursue Christ's likeness in our life, what is Paul saying? Paul says that God is pursuing you to make you more like Christ. Paul's God, Paul says God's running after you to make you more like Christ. Paul is making you, God is running after you to make you more like Christ. My purpose in pressing on is that even though I fail, even though I'm not perfect, the goal of pressing on is to fasten the promise. And what's the promise? That just as I'm to pursue Christ's likeness, Christ is pursuing me. But not only to fasten the promise, but Paul says to win the prize, I need to forget the past. I need to forget the past. Who has trouble forgetting the past? You know, a lot of times we want to, a lot of people pride themselves in having a great memory. Sometimes I'm thankful for a horrible one. Look at verse 13. Paul says once again, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. We must be focused, don't we? Every athlete knows that they must be focused on the goal. You cannot look at the crowd. 
You cannot look at your feet. You cannot look behind you. You cannot look at your problems. You must look at the goal. And once again, Paul reminds them that he had not attained perfection. But for Paul, it was a blessed discontent. Notice what he says in verse 13 again. But this one thing I do. Believer, you must be singularly focused. Singularly focused on the pursuit of Christ-likeness. You know, the, this was the concern of Paul, uh, of the believers at Corinth, that, that, that was, he believed that was a source of so many of the problems. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says that through the subtlety of your minds that you should be corrupted from the simplicity or the singleness that is in Christ. You know, church, listen to me. People that dabble in much usually accomplish how much? People that dabble in much usually accomplish nothing. People that spend so much of their time focusing on the past usually don't accomplish anything right now. Believers expend so much energy. You know, the thing about it is, as I talk to a lot of Christians and, and as I talk to myself, which, yeah, I talk to myself, uh, you're, not only, you're only crazy if you answer back, which I do that sometimes too. I went up to my, somebody told me that time, one time they went up to the dad and said, Dad, are you talking to myself? He said, yeah, it's the only time I can have intelligent conversation. And that's true, isn't it? That's true sometimes. But you, listen, you guys spend so much time beating yourselves up. It's a wonder you accomplish anything for the Lord. And I do that too. But we dabble in trying to beat ourselves up and we never accomplish anything. Some believers spend so much time in other activities other than Christ's likeness that they become frustrated in the pursuit. Christ's likeness, church, that goal must be our number one priority. And it's not to say that we don't do other activities, but it means that the, the goal, the pursuit of Christ's likeness is at the center of our life and everything else revolves around that. But for the Christian, so much of the time, Christ's likeness is just one thing and a many of things that revolve around something else. And they wonder why they never obtain Christ's likeness. And they wonder why they get frustrated. Wonder why they always give in to the deeds of the flesh because Christ's likeness is not at the center of their life. But everything else is. You must, church, listen, you must have God here. And everything else revolves around God. Everything in your life must take a back seat to God and what you know God expects you to do. Everything. Everything. And the thing that you give up, the thing that you do at the expense of your walk with God will tell you what's at the center of your life. Christ's likeness must be our life. It must be our pursuit. It must be our goal. And for the believer to do that, he must relinquish everything else that hinders him. We must have a singular focus. But notice what Paul says. Verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things, which are what? Which are behind. A runner that looks back was, is going to fail. When you're running a race, other people don't matter. What matters is your singular focus on that goal. And you work at that goal, church, by forgetting the past. 
Listen to me very clearly this morning. Your past, are you listening? You're looking, but I'll make sure you're listening. Your past is irrelevant. Your past is irrelevant. Perfectionists and legalists look to their past achievements to validate their supposed spiritual status. But just as it does church no good to focus on past spiritual accomplishments, it is also counterproductive to Christ's likeness, Paul says, to focus on past failures. Paul made a break from everything in his past, both good and bad. When believers spend so much time looking back and fretting over the past, that's disastrous. That's disastrous. You don't come to church on Sunday because of something you did on Saturday. That's disastrous. That's disastrous. Now, nobody is downplaying the fact that you may need to get victory over that. But you don't let that keep you from, and this is the point, you don't let that keep you from keeping your eyes on the prize. One can, if you look at the past and you, dis, and you despair over the, and you, and you fret over the past, that'll lead to despair. But if you look to the past at your spiritual compliments, that'll lead to arrogance. And you'll never survive in your Christian life by giving energy, church, to past achievements. But you'll never survive the Christian life by living in the energy of past defeats. Don't let your past energize you. Paul says, I forget the past. Paul says, you want to know how I am focused on the prize? Even though I'm not perfect? Even though I know I haven't already attained? He says, I forget the past. The church is filled with people that are debilitated by their past. Christ is concerned, church, with what you are doing now and in the future. He is not concerned with the things of your past. That's why Paul says, I forget the things in the past. And the clearest view of the believer is to forget the past. The point of Paul is to forget those things, church, that are in the past. Realizing that all those things, whether they be good or whether they be bad, lack the power to make you more like Christ. Now that don't mean the things of the past don't shape you. But they will not shape you any further if you're away from Christ because you can't focus any, anything on those things. Listen to me, church. Your identity is not found in your past. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. So stop living there. Stop living there. Spend so much time beating yourself up over mistakes. Yeah, Paul could find some mistakes in his life too, couldn't he? Paul said he was walking with it. He was a, Paul says he was a walking around with a corpse on, hanging to him. Paul says, I'm walking around. I'm so sinful. I'm walking around with a, with a body of death hanging off me. He says, but I forget the past. I'm focused on the goal. I don't want to fasten the promise. I don't want to. And I want to forget the past. 
You are not your past. You are what Christ is doing in your life now. You can't change what's in your past 10 years ago, five years ago, five days ago. You can't change that. You claim the grace of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ and you forget the past. You will live in constant defeat, church, if you constantly focus on the past. Paul says, here's my ambition. My ambition is I want to claim, I want to claim the prize. I want to win the prize. How am I going to do that? But I'm, I, by, I'm going to fasten on the promise. I'm going to forget the past. But number three, he says, I'm going to face the present. I'm going to face the present. I'm going to fasten the promise. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to face the present. What does Paul say in verse 13 again? Notice what he says. This one thing I do. Paul states that this one thing. This is interesting to me. Paul says this one thing, but he mentions two actions. One negative and one positive. The negative is forgetting those things which are behind. The positive, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Two actions, right? Two actions. But yet Paul says, what? One thing I do. Why does Paul consider both of these just one action? Simple, really. Because church, if you spend your life looking back, you'll never look forward. But if you spend your life pressing on, you don't look back. You can't have it both ways. You can't do both of those things at the same time. So it's really two, two actions, but one thing. Two directions of the same action. The opposite of forgetting the past is what? pressing on and Paul says in verse 13 I am reaching forth Paul the word the word reach forth is means to to strain it means to stretch means to extend your energy to the utmost to extend to full length Paul stretching Paul says I am stretching to my full length to win the prize. I remember when I was in high school, I, I noticed you, y'all probably don't believe it now, but I was an award-winning track runner. I was. You believe that, Bonnie? I was an award-winning, I was, I was an award-winning track runner because I ran and I got a ribbon one time. But my track coach taught me that when you're running, the, the basics, you look forward, you don't look side or back. But when you're running, you get close to the finish line and you do what? If I do it now, I'll probably fall off the platform. But you stretch. Because the photo finish may mean, Nathan, that you stretched your neck out farther than your opponent did and you're the winner. If you notice a photo finish of an athlete running a, a sprint, you'll notice that their chest is bowed out. Because they're trying to get that chest area to hit the tape before their opponents. And that's what Paul says. And he used bars this from uh, athletes, athletics again. He says, I have such an intense desire to be like Christ. He says, I am stretching every spiritual muscle I've got to get to that prize. 
I'm looking forward. I'm stretching forward. I'm not looking back. I'm stretching forward. Because our goal, church, is completeness in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, at whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Because church, listen, the Christian life is about aim, isn't it? The the Christian life is about aim, the Christian life is about purpose, the Christian life is about goals. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, I alluded to this in the the introduction, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one is beating the air. You know, it's the, old, it's the old adage that if you aim at nothing, you'll, you'll hit it every time, right? The Christian life is about aims. It's about goals. And the goal for you and I is Christ-likeness. Paul says, I'm not going back. Yeah, I failed. I failed miserably. But looking back is counterproductive to finding the goal that's ahead. I'm not looking back. I'm not looking back at my achievements. I'm not looking back at my failures. I'm looking ahead because I want the goal, which is Christ's likeness, and I'm going to stretch every spiritual muscle I've got to get it. I'm going to make every, what's that mean? I'm going to make every human possibility. I'm going to make every human effort possible to reach that goal. And those things that I do, I know how to do, I'm going to do. And those things I don't know yet what to do, I'm going to trust God that he'll do them for me. The Christian life, church, is not just about sitting. The Christian life is about going forward and doing everything that you and I can do that we know to be the right thing and letting God take care of those things that we yet don't know. That's Paul's point in chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And you'll never, folks, you'll never stretch your spiritual muscle forward if you're constantly looking back. The prize is given to those who look forward. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. Do you realize that you're in a fight today? A.W. Tozer wrote a book. The church, a battlefield, not a playground. You're in a battle this morning. And Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Paul says, this is my ambition. This is my admission. I'm not perfect. I haven't attained. I am not a spiritual level of super super spirituality. My ambition is I'm going to fasten the promise. I'm going to forget the past and all of its accomplishments and all of its failures. I'm going to forget those things. But I'm going to face the present. Is that you this morning? You spend your life looking back. Maybe here this morning and you think that you've reached some super spiritual level of superiority. I don't think there's anybody in this worship center that has that attitude, but I don't know your heart. Maybe that's you. But I suspect that more than not that there's people in here that have the versus have struggling with thinking that they've arrived. You probably struggle with looking back too much. 
beating yourself up as you look back. Well, I wish I'd have done this differently. I wish I'd have done that differently. Man, I, I blew it there. God can't use me today because of what I did yesterday. That's counterproductive to Christ's likeness. Do you look back? Do you forget the past? Or do you face the present? And we're going to see next time together that the fourth step of Paul's admonition was not only to fasten the promise, and it not only was to forget the past, and it was not only to face the present, but it was to find the prize. To find the prize. Where, are you, where do you stand this morning? Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.